0: Welcome to the best of fives. Uh, this is uh, the the show on Niazaz where we pick a list of our top five of any particular subject. Uh, today's subject is the top five artists who are eligible to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but are not. Uh, I am Tim. This is my first time doing this show. Uh, you've heard probably here Dave and Matt and Chris and other people from Neozes doing the show, but this is the first time I'm dipping my toe into the waters. Um, so if I if I suck at it, it's 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 it is my fault. Um, so I am here with one of my best friends in the world, uh, the person I can talk about music with all day long and have uh, over the past. Uh, decade and a half, and some change beyond that. Uh, I'm here with my friend Brian.
1: Hey, hey! Glad to be here.
0: Uh, the Brian, this is the first time you've ever been on a podcast. Am I?
1: Am I? Correct? Yes, it is. This is my maiden voyage. I have uh, barely even been on a computer, so uh, <laughs> yeah. this is uh, this is big.
0: Yeah, Brian just installed Skype on his computer just for this this of uh, this occasion. That's so. Right. Anyway, yeah, uh, so Brian and I we've known each other since uh, since uh, the AmeriCorps days uh, that I was that I was in. Uh, so a lot of you know that I was in AmeriCorps years ago and I met Brian uh, while I was living in Washington DC in AmeriCorps. Brian, you're from you grew up in Virginia, but you were originally from Mississippi
1: right yeah, yeah 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 that's right cleveland mississippi in the delta and but then moved to virginia and uh, went to school there and then you and i met walking the streets of dc um, and as you're right yes we've talked hours about music and i remember going to olson's books and music many a time in many dc a time. yes so yeah.
0: BD and I have uh, we've been to a bunch of concerts. We've uh, we've sat and listened to records, and talked about music for for many years. Uh, BD and I were were housemates for for a good period of time uh, when I moved down to Nashville. So we know each other quite well. So so anyway, uh, you Brian, have you been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
1: No, actually, I've never been. You know, I've wor- I used to work at the Country Music Hall of Fame when I first moved to Nashville, but I've never been to the Rock Hall. So uh-huh. this is uh, this will be a good intro to uh, for us to take a road trip as we've been Wait. talking about.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm thinking. We need to we need to head up there. And when we walk up there, we'll bring our list and say, "What the? We'll fuck?
1: Bring- <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: Tell us, <laughs> you sons of bitches, is. why is our- this man not in the or- in your it's archives, it. in your halls of fame, as you calls it? He's
1: in and, both the halls of fames.
0: He's yes. in all of the halls of fames. <laughs> so, well, uh, so what we what, what I what I said at the beginning, we're gonna, we've Brian and I have each made a list of our top five people that are eligible and most deserved of being in the hall of fame, but as of as of 2016 are not. So, uh, Brian, why don't you go first? Why don't you tell us your first your your
1: number five? Okay, well. Uh, And I will. I'll kind of preface the list by saying, uh, you know, I'm sure we both could have put many in the top five, but I wanted to pick some that you know we could probably argue over quite a bit. But I'll start off. Number five. I'm going to go with Los Lobos. Now, Los Lobos. Los Lobos. Yeah, I'm going to go with Los Lobos, and and they were nominated uh, in this past year. Didn't get in. As, as we all know, but I'm going with Los Lobos for, and you, you might see, I don't know if there's a full theme to my list, but I guess I'll make the argument that their grasp on a mix of genres mm-hmm. uh, has really helped to kind of push rock and roll and introduce new facets of rock and roll, I would say. So you've got the Latino influence, the Tejano, but they were a band and are a band that just continues to develop and evolve their sound kind of using that musical soup. And so, you know, since La Bamba, I would argue that they've really they've both developed that sound and they've influenced bands like Calexico, which are Mm -hmm. great American rock bands. And kind of Los Lonely Boys. Most lonely Boys, you know, uh, absolutely. So I would put them, you know, for argument's sake, at number five uh, for both the, their spread and evolving style, but also their influence, as we said. And I think about that influence that you could argue that, you know, Austin, Texas, as becoming a beacon for live music. You could put Los Lobos as an early sort of instigator in yeah. some ways of, of that. So I'm kind of coming at them from, from those angles. Uh, okay. For five, yeah.
0: Yeah. Los Lobos, I was at a show that they were playing at, but I remember leaving just as they were starting. Really? You, you yeah, it was – um, oh, geez. Oh, this is going back – Probably two thousand two or two thousand three, they were playing um, WXPN in Philadelphia. Does they? I don't think they still do it, but they used to do what they called the Singer Songwriter Weekend, which was a three or four day uh, festival down on the piers on on, in Philadelphia on Festival Pier. And I went and volunteered to work one day because I wanted to see Patty Griffin play. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, Patty Griffin got sick and she didn't perform. And so I, I saw uh, the I saw um, Suzanne Vega and Cousteau play. And I think John Mayer was playing the following day Your favorite? before John Mayer got really huge. But yep. Los Lobos was the headliner that night. And so I uh, I was like, ah, I don't really feel like like sticking around for Los Lobos. And I and they were they had come on stage and started playing. And I was like, OK, I'm out.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: So yeah. I, I have, I've never actually seen Los Lobos perform, but I do, I do like them quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I, and I've never seen them, you know, and as I, as I was kind of going through and thinking through this, you know, to kind of bring in some of that diversity. I mean, I, I really do think that they've, they've been pretty hugely influential, and probably that influence will kind of come out a bit more over the next, you know, decade or so. So uh, I feel good. I, I, think, I think number five, uh, I feel pretty solid about for those yeah. guys. Yeah, how I, about
0: you? Okay. Uh, my number five, I picked this. And, and this one is one that I, when when I thought about it, I was like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he actually is in the Hall of Fame. And that is Frank Sinatra. Oh, yes. Is he not? He is not in the Hall of Fame. He's not in the Rock and Roll Hall. In the Rock. Um, And a lot of people would say, well, he's not rock and roll. But it, in in the Hall of Fame they have they have a lot of people that are what they call early influences. Yeah. So you have like Pete Seeger and Bill Monroe sure. uh and uh, you know Robert Johnson and Louis Armstrong these these guys that they're from all different sort of all, all different uh sorts of uh backgrounds that influence rock and roll but I would say that that Sinatra coming up in the 40s and the Bobby Soxers in the early 50s I, I think he, he influenced a lot of the, the the music that we ended up calling rock and roll in the '60s. Maybe not the early, maybe not the early early stuff uh, as much, but I think that uh, he, as an early influence, I think I think he sh- he should be a um, he should be inducted. The whole Bobby Sox movement was really when popular music sort of shifted towards um the youth, uh, yeah. so. I guess prior to Sinatra and people like Johnny Ray and those guys kind of the music and and recording was generally promoted towards older audiences
1: mm-hmm. sure
0: and it yeah. wasn't until Sinatra came along that they noticed that he had a he had a strong teen movement, which is what eventually t- turned uh the the promotional wheels. Going towards the teen, which which eventually led to to Elvis and Johnny Cash uh, and and uh, the different r and b artists being promoted to America's youth. So
1: yeah, that's I think that's a that's a great choice, actually. I never would have I never would have uh, thought about Sinatra uh, for the list, but I think that's really good. And if you read, I was actually reading recently Bob Dylan's Chronicles book, the first one. And he just—I mean—he goes on and on about what an influence Sinatra was on on uh, his style and and, and Dylan's music—and talks yeah. about you know talks you know all day long about if you want to listen to a real voice and it doesn't matter what genre, what direction it's coming from. I mean, listen to Sinatra, yeah. and if you do, you go back and you listen to him, and his performance—it's just the vibe and the style um, as a vocal stylist, but also as an actual you know. Top of the line singer. Um, there's there's rock and roll in there. There's there's early seeds from both performance style, his swagger, his mm-hmm. look, his feel. And and you're right. I think that also translated. If we talk about the influence translating to uh, younger audiences, who then you know might have been influenced and taken that into the, the the prime rock and roll era. I think you're right. I think Sinatra's all over that as an influence. I like that choice. That's yeah, great.
0: he's uh, yeah, he's he's one. Again and and the lifestyle, you know, he lived large. Uh, I think I think Elvis kind of looked at 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 uh, the way Sinatra carried himself and sort of emulated that to a certain extent. He, he surrounded really himself. Good. He surrounded himself with an entourage. He uh, he he kept an air of mystery. He didn't do a whole lot of interviews, and and Sinatra didn't do a whole lot of interviews uh, in, in in his younger career. Um, so yeah, I, and you know, as, as we've said, a lot of rock rock and roll singers, Jim Morrison, uh, looked up to Sinatra, <laughs> Sinatra, I, th- I think one of the reasons why Sinatra isn't in is because he was pretty vocal about his disdain for rock and roll, uh, especially early on, uh, around the time of, of Elvis, um, because he, he saw it as a threat. Yeah,
1: sure. Oh so- Yeah. Um, well so, and to your to your point too, if we talk about i mean any discussion about the rock and roll Hall of fame, you know it, it turns into what is rock and roll. How do you define rock and roll? what are the parameters and and I mean both of us have talked you know years about <laughs> about that argument, but yeah, to your point, I mean Sinatra you know if if Dylan and if Elvis and even some of the other you know early rock icons are looking at Sinatra for style, for sense of you know, performance on stage, then in some ways, you know, you, you make the argument that he's helping to create the seed bed of where rock and roll then, mm-hmm. then uh, developed. So yeah, I like, I, I like that argument. I think it's, I think that's a really good choice.
0: If you, if you ever want to watch an awkward television moment and I, it used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. You could stream uh, the Frank Sinatra uh show when Elvis came it was Elvis's first television appearance after leaving the army and and uh he came he came on the he came on Sinatra's TV show and Sinatra was basically I, you, you, at the time you probably couldn't notice it but Sinatra really was looking down his nose at elvis and was oh sure he taking pot shots at him the entire the entire show it's really awkward to watch but at the same time it's just like it's fascinating
1: well and he's also seeing the inevitable yeah. you know what i mean he sees he sees in Elvis you know something that really can't be there's you can't compete with that necessarily. Exactly. It's like you know, if you think politics, as you and I often you know, verge into new territory upon subjects. But remember the first, you know, remember that iconic debate between Kennedy Mm -hmm. um, and and Nixon. I mean, what happens in that debate is the young upstart Kennedy is polished; he understands television you know, he's got makeup on and Nixon was actually sick. He's sweaty. He doesn't understand the medium. Didn't pay that much credence to the medium and then thus loses. And one can make the argument Kennedy wins um, because of that. He's appealing to that kind of younger generation. And it just kind of makes me think Sinatra is looking at Elvis in that kind of same, in a similar way, you know, in that performance. So
0: it's, yeah, it's interesting stuff. I love it. All right. Who is, who's your number four? Number four.
1: Um, okay, I'm gonna go uh, number four. I'm gonna go Joy Division. Joy Division. Um, okay. Yeah. Joy Division. Um, and you know they, as we all know, they were not around very long at all. Quickly turned into new order after the uh, after the suicide uh, of of the lead singer. But you know if we're if we're talking influence and we're talking about you know basically over a 30-year, you know, close to 40-year span, my God. I mean, you can, you can trace the continued influence of Joy Division all the way through the present, and, and, and the most obvious choices would be bands like Editors or Interpol. But I yeah. think that, I think, you know, I mean, of course, the, the immediate impact with Joy Division um not only on you know developing new sort of lyric writing in in rock and roll or post punk music, but look at what the cure did after that. I mean, yeah. you know, look at you two, who were you know early in their career talked all the time about the influence of of joy division. and I mean we've talked a lot before about making much ado out of not much. I mean, one could argue that the one album, you know, one album really defined their career, and then maybe the suicide even defined the career. But you go back and listen to that, man, and, and, and see some of the clips. Yes, it's tortured, but the sound, it, I mean, it, that it's staccato. I mean, it's like the Strokes, of course, were pulling from television, who mm-hmm. were, of course, pulling from Joy Division, you know? So yeah. I, I would say that I, I'm looking at them much more for their sort of enduring influence and kind of the post punk, in between the new wave period and just that straight ahead style and influence, man. I think yeah, I think top five, I think they're they should be in there.
0: I never I never bought that that Joy Division record. I really should. It's it's one of those ones that I go and I pick it up and I look at it and and then I'm always like, eh, oh, I'm as, I'll get this monkeys record over here. Right.
1: <laughs> I get the Sinatra record.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean this one, Sinatra, you know, only little only. That's
1: right. He's um, rock and roll, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> then I shout around, hey,
1: everybody, this guy. <laughs> That's right. He's not he
0: he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um for my number four, uh I have chosen uh Megadeth. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I I sort of feel that the um the Rockwell Hall of Fame likes to pick from genres, likes to pick their token artist, and that yeah. artist is in there, sure. and anything else from that in that small box is excluded because it's like, well, we've it's represented here.
1: Yeah, they, we've covered that wing, so to speak. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I feel like when they when they inducted um, Metallica, I think that they sort of felt like, okay, well, we've that, that whole, that whole genre, that San Francisco, uh, speed metal is covered. But I, I think that there is a lot more influence in that area than the Rockwell Hall of Fame is willing to admit. And I don't know if Megadeth has made the ballot, um, but I would say that I would say that Megadeth and bands like Megadeth like uh, Anthrax and Slayer and Testament uh are are examples of bands that probably should be given consideration for the influence that they have Megadeth more so than the others maybe Slayer might be up there as as one that I think uh could should be should be uh really considered but Megadeth more so because of the the, the extreme musicianship that that band has had and it's, yeah. uh, it's storied history um, it's ups and downs. I mean, the, the, the story behind Megadeth is almost as interesting as their best album.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, in some ways they, I mean, they suffer from the fact of Mustaine, you know, leaving or being kicked out of Metallica yeah. and that, you know, and all of that enduring baggage. And, and I think that, you know, if we look at it now, if you're thinking of them now, I think a lot of people would say, "Well, they're just kind of the they're the sort of the lesser stepchild of Metallica." They, you know, like your point, like Metallica is the archetype, and then then you have all these other spinoffs that are that are that are um, less less than Metallica. But if you were, if you remember, man, when when you know in the '80s when they were both going strong after the mm-hmm. split happened, I mean, you were either a Metallica fan or a Megadeth fan. Yeah, it was and, it was split into yeah. two camps. That's right. It was two camps, and there's various reasons for that. And people were, you know, were anti this and and for that. But I, yeah, I, you know, in many ways, Megadeth, you know, you, one could argue maybe the more rhythmic, uh, yeah. musically of, of the two.
0: Yeah, Metallica was was good about slowing things down, kind of kind of taking the Black Sabbath approach, mm-hmm. where they think they they would, especially after. Ride the Lightning, um, and and anyway, you know when we're recording this, I think on the day that on the 30th anniversary of Master of Puppets being released. Wow, I think today yeah. is the today we're recording this on March third. Um,
1: we, we planned that. That's, that's <laughs> <fully> <laughs> yes, so it was plan.
0: all, we yeah. planned this all around Master yeah. Puppets anniversary. Yeah. But um, but I think I think after Ride the Lightning, Metallica really brought it back, and uh, they they really took advantage of Kirk Hammett's classical playing and also took a look at how black Sabbath had done stuff and slowed things down, made it, I'm going to use a word, but it's, it sounds bad, but it's not um, a more plotting sort of approach where it's just more about like a crunch and Megadeth kept the speed up uh, straight through the early nineties. Now, when you, when you hear Megadeth things, they, they are a little bit more in line with how Metallica does things. Yeah, I mean, that was well, just the evolution of the band.
1: Right. And too if we if we think pop culture, is the you know the documentary some kind of monster with Metallica that really kind of emotionally tough scene with Dave Mustaine sitting there yeah. talking to uh, Hatfield. I mean that again that's like it's unfortunate because they used that, you know, which at that point Metallica still had a big a pretty big mouthpiece. So this mm-hmm. film comes out and you still have Dave Mustaine you know, in a lesser position in that scene. Here he is, kind yeah. of, he's crying to Hatfield, right, or to um to Lars. Uh, yeah, to Lars Olbers. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I, I would agree with that. I think they probably do deserve because, again, when they split, you're talking about two. I mean, I can just remember this man. You were again. It was two camps, and mm-hmm. you were solidly, you know, solidly in one of those camps. So I mean,
0: and I mean. D- Dave Mustaine <clears throat> might think differently of it, but him being kicked out may have been bad personally, but it was fantastic for the rock world because oh, yeah. now you had two fantastic bands. It's, and, and, and I, uh, some people have used the Nirvana, um, the, the Nirvana, uh, aspect where it's like, well, Kirk Cobain, you know, he died so that we could get Foo Fighters. Uh, things like that. So, right. I, I mean, it's not quite on the same level as, you know, someone had, someone actually died with the Nirvana thing or, or, or with joy division. Uh, you know, he dies and then we get new order after right. that. So you right. get a continuation of great music, but with, with this, you had, you had a split, you had two fantastic bands performing at the same time as a result of, of, yeah. uh, of a, of a uh, negative um,
1: situation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, good, good choice. Number yeah, four was yeah. that, that. was number four for you, right? That was number four. Yes. Um, okay. Are we, so we're on number three. Number uh, three. I guess it's, is, is it? I guess it's my turn now. Um, you're not. You probably won't be surprised by this. Um, I think you'll be surprised, maybe, by my two and one, but um, not three. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go for argument's sake. I'm going to go for Uncle Tupelo. No. Ah. Um, and so you know, we both we're both. Wilco fans. But, you know, and I remember you and I early, early when when Wilco were quite young and still when Sunvolt were out. I mean, again, that was that was kind of a similar thing. Like you were either a Wilco fan or a Sunvolt fan, mm-hmm. you know, once that split happened. But when you look at kind of the power of Jay, you know Jeff Tweedy and Jay Farrar in the same band, Knuckle Tupelo, you know, and they're they're sort of there. There's the punk roots, you know, the Minutemen kind of influence with these guys, but you know they're also naming an album "No Depression," which goes back to the the Carter family. So yeah. you know, and then you know, of course, so here you have this sort of punk roots band um, that as we all well know, are kind of the early um, progenitors, I guess you could say, are big influencers of the what eventually became the Americana movement, which in my view is where some of the best rock and roll still is to this yes, uh, day. Uh, I agree. Yeah. 150%. Yeah, yeah, yeah 197%. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I would, I would put them at three because uh, the songwriting between Farrar and Tweedy, I mean, even though they were, they were kind of still budding, in their in their work uh back then uh you look at that that very small body of work and then once again you see not only the influence of what now wilco and early sunvolt has done Mm -hmm. but that out you know no depression then suddenly you have a magazine named no depression that is talking is you pulling that name that was popularized by uncle tupelo about this kind of music that had sort of been forgotten you know, it's very, it's kind of similar to you know blues, early '30s blues, and 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 Robert Johnson. You know that yeah. that was a blip in popular American history, and then you know the British, you know, introduce it back to the United States, and it and it blows up again. I mean, it's not the same thing here, but I think Uncle Tupelo were kind of taking, they were using that punk influence, but they were also so enamored by you know the Carter family you know, those early records of Woody Guthrie and that kind of thing, and funneling, of course, to the songwriting of of structures of Bob Dylan. And suddenly you do kind of have, it's not a totally new sound, but I think it's a sound that's reintroduced almost to a whole new generation. And, and thus, I think we can trace modern Americana back to bands like Uncle Tupelo and I, and you know, if not for Wilco and Sunfold, maybe I wouldn't be able to make that argument that they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Certainly, I, Wilco will be in the Hall of Fame, but yeah, I don't know. I, I was looking at it. I kind of like that of Tupelo at number three there. Yeah, Tupelo. Yeah, Tupelo would.
0: If if that if they were to make it in, that would be one of those things that would just like, just like blow everybody's minds. Yeah, I don't think I, it'll ever I, happen. I, I, I don't I, I don't I don't think they're ever gonna get the induction. Wilco, I do think, will get it, but Uncle Tupelo, I, I don't think. I think when it I think that the Hall of Fame has changed their induction process, and now there's a certain aspect of a popular vote. Yeah, uh, that's right. So I think sometimes those the 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 less now I think the 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 more obscure acts are going to have a harder time getting in now that it's, it's not being curated uh, as, as much, but I mean that you get, you also can, there's also a a
1: plus side to that. Um, Hopefully we'll, that we'll see in the future. Sure. Yeah. I think uh, if there's ever an Americana hall of fame, then there are (laughs) shoes.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Early influence
1: from 1990. That's right. Yeah, Exactly.
0: Uh, I am. I'm trying to figure out my order here. I haven't written down, but I'm. I'm sort of going by my, the seat of my pants in terms of order. I'm okay. I'm gonna go with uh, for my number three, Def Leppard.
1: Uh, <laughs> you're going for the leopard, eh? Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah.
0: The thing with Def Leppard is, and and I and unfortunately, I think, um, metal. And pop metal in in in, in pop metal specifically uh, is really frowned upon um, when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think that they, I think some of these people have have I, I, I think they have no asshole. I think their assholes are so puckered that that they've ceased to have one. Assholess, and, yeah and 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 i think that they think they're too cool for school and if they were to say hey def leppard should be in the rock and roll hall of fame i think a lot of people would chuckle because they were so ridiculously popular because they were they they sang songs about pouring sucrose upon another body
1: <laughs> which is inherently incredible yes
0: <laughs> and and having such gigantic hits and and doing these these gigantic tours, but uh, I mean, they really ushered in uh, a lot of a lot of rock and roll. They they were one of the first British new wave metal bands to come over to the United States to to really get big over here, and it, and they brought. I mean, you you could you could say they they helped bring it over, or Iron Maiden helped bring music over that metal from that was go- going on over in, uh, in, in England over to the United States. But, um, and, and, Iron, I, I mean, Iron Maiden should also be in the hall of fame, but that's, that's, that's another, that's another argument, but I think Def Leppard definitely should be in basically because they were so gigantic and, and they, they really took chances with how they pro- produce things like, um, Really going into like sampling and the keyboard sounds on, on Hysteria and Pyromania, um, really, I mean, changed the way that people produced records. After they, 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 and and they were part of that digital revolution where things started to move from tape over to digital. Which there's an argument that that was a bad thing, and then there's an argument that that helped to create. Uh more uh creativity in, in the music
1: world. But sure. Well and Mutt Lang of course is at the mm-hmm. center of, of that shift. You know, yeah. he's I mean back then, you know, that was, you know, I guess on the popular level seen as a very good thing. To your point, it was clean sound, huge wall of sound. Now I think in some ways Mutt Lang is kinda you know, he's kinda run through the mill a little bit for introducing you know, or bringing back that kind of style. But yeah, I I, I can I mean, again, if you think about when, you know, Pour Some Sugar on Me was out, it was gigantic. And we all loved it. You know, I think you and I are probably both more Guns N' Roses fans, but both like Def Leppard. I think we agree on that. And I think probably it's like, it's a very similar thing to your your sort of um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame wing argument where that might pull away from Def Leppard. And that we know Guns N' Roses is in, so why do we put Death Leopard in? You know? Yeah, it's
0: I, you know, it, it's it's almost yeah, it's it's almost like they think Guns N' Roses represents all of that all of that type of metal that was out during that era, and um, and I I just I just disagree wholeheartedly that there are so many really great bands, and I hate to call it hair metal, but that's what people like to call it. Um, I hate to call it hair metal, but that 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 melodic rock, as they uh, melodic metal, as they call it now. If you pick up Classic Rock magazine or some of the British, the British press, they hate calling it hair metal too. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of fantastic bands that are in there that that were uh, game changers, and Def Leppard, I think, is is one of them. Well, so and it didn't hurt to have you know a one arm drummer. Uh, yeah, that was a
1: well, and, <laughs> you know, which and, which actually was really good. That was pretty damn cool. You yeah, know, back it,
0: then. and again, like 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 a lot of acts, the story is just as interesting as as the music itself. So, I think the legend um, pushes pushes their uh, pushes their their uh, their legend forward. Uh, yeah,
1: that's left. I just think oh, I just said the legend pushes the legend. You did. That's the legend. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of legend pushing right there. Yes. You know, that's legendary. But, but you know, you you might think about Mutt Lang being inducted with them. You know, one can make the argument that he was as responsible for that sound as as uh, or success maybe as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool, good choice, man. Yeah. Okay, um, where are we? We are at number. You're we're at at number, number two, two, right? Number two. Number two. Okay. All right. So this, um, I don't know if this will surprise you or not. It might. But uh, this kind of comes back to some of our D.C. roots, and that is the band Fugazi. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, uh, and I think on this particular choice, I mean, Fugazi, um, I mean, it's pretty clear that they uh, are still pretty influential. But I think influential for a variety of reasons, as we've now seen. You know, we've both witnessed the change in the in the music industry. We've both kind of worked in the music industry a little bit and and seeing the changes there. We've seen the big bloated record industry where uh, you know recording companies had full power and say over bands. And I think that as we've now seen that kind of shift, it's interesting to kind of take a look at a band like Fugazi, you know, that were coming up through the eighties and, and and early nineties. That were totally DIY the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, you know, Mackay had this sort of ethos about him and the band that, yes, they were kind of from that hardcore scene. And DC, I mean, we could talk all day long about the DC, both music scene and hardcore scene. And that's kind of, I wanted to, I think this is a good way to kind of segue into the DC scene. But they were really kind of some of the leaders in that. And they touched, they came from those early hardcore punk bands. But even their, their own style was pretty melodic, and and as musicians, they were they were quite proficient in what they were doing. But they never backed off like the model that they created, that was mm-hmm. that one could define as the Fugazi model, you know. And so that's the do it yourself kind of thing, you know. They didn't charge more than when they first came out. I think what like five dollars for concerts because they wanted to make sure it was an all ages show where people could actually come. And I think that you know, I think it was kind of refreshing for them to also say, you know, let's not kill each other in our shows and actually be present within the music. That's I think that was kind of a refreshing kind of thing. So
0: they they sort uh, of they sort of fostered the the um, uh, what is it the the uh, straight edge sort of movement also.
1: Yeah, that's right, and that's it was never something. I mean, I knew of. I mean you know, you would hear that term straight edge, you know, back in, I guess, you know, the early nineties, I never really knew exactly, you know, what it was, but, you know, you take a look at an interview with Mackay these days and, and, you know, he sort of equates that as just almost being a vegetarian as well. It's just kind of, you know, it's sort of living in the present and being healthy and all that. So you think about that you juxtapose that with, the other bands they were associated with in the hardcore and punk scene mm-hmm. which were totally the antithesis of that. I mean, you and I've done interviews with, you know, with punk legends and we know where that music and that whole style comes from. So, I think on the one sense for Fugazi to still have that level of respect and and have been straight edge like they were, that's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. Uh, with with fugazi I, I you know i think uh, bands like black flag um mm, yeah. sh- should also be considered i don't think they they are not uh part of the rock and roll hall of fame but uh, yeah i mean just yeah if you but uh, but uh, i mean if if the hall of fame was to was to uh induct one i think it would have a hard time for the other i think as i said like right. you they, yep. they they like to have their token so it would it would be fugazi fugazi, fugazi. Uh, they they would they they would get inducted in and then it would, and then it would be an uphill battle for a Black Flag
1: or vice versa. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably right. But I think too as as kind of a and not that this is a part of the you know Hall of Fame necessarily what they think about when they're inducting, but as a, as a window into the you know the, the Washington D.C. music yeah. scene, which you know if again if, if if you know what do you know about Washington D.C. you know government you know politics, but underneath that. You know there was this incredible, incredibly deep and ranging music scene. I mean, the hardcore punk scene we all know was was solid with Fugazi, but that's what that's what produced Dave Grohl. You mm-hmm. know, that same scene was fertile ground. But it, you know, DC has always had a great bluegrass scene. It has an entire genre defined. Onto Washington D.C. and that is go go-go. go. You know, go go music is just a really kind of a D.C. thing, right? I so
0: re- I remember when we lived there. If you'd go over to any street festival in Anacostia, no matter where you went, all you heard was do 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 right. do Basically the 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 uh, the standard <laughs> drum beat for any go go song.
1: <laughs> no, that was it. And Chuck Brown, of course. I guess yep. it was Chuck Brown, right? Who's the I guess I mean the founder of of that music. And yeah. So you know I don't know I, I I love thinking about when I you know you think Fergazi and they're they're sort of their own entity, but I think when you peer closer into that and look where they were. Where they were working in DC, and then you start to look at that at that scene. Um, really cool, incredible yeah. bands that, that came out of there, and then you have folks like Danny Gatton, who's this great unknown, you know, guitar player who died early, but again, part of that big you know DC scene that Fugazi was operating in. Yeah,
0: so. and you and I, we we saw Ian Ian Mackay when we went and saw Hank three at the Black Cat. Now, was he? He was just there, though. He right? was just there. He was just sort of standing and hanging out. He was just there at the show.
1: That's right. That was sort of just standing
0: hat. and leaning against the wall. And I remember you and I were like, "Is that him, a guy?" Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, wait, and we whispered the rest of the night, yeah. just like, "Yeah, <laughs> is <he laughs> a guy?" I saw him. Yeah, we we saw would him. stand right next to him. Is that he, <laughs> a guy? <laughs> That's right. We stood right next to him uh, and whispered. We, uh, and I, I, you stood line.
0: in front of him. I stood behind him. And
1: you I were standing. Sure. You were standing uncomfortably close, right yeah. behind him. And I was I was facing him, standing uncomfortable was, right in front of him.
0: I was taking my finger and circling his ear <laughs> and pushing on one nostril, going,
1: "Is that Ian McKay? Well, and I yeah, and I was whispering. I actually had the mic at that. I had taken the mic yeah. away from Hank Green, <laughs> whispering into the mic, "Is this Ian McKay? And I was like, "I think it is." Yeah, and but the crazy thing is, Ian did not. He wasn't even faced. Didn't move. Was, didn't even move. Didn't move. He
0: just sat there drinking his his eight ounce little carton of milk.
1: A smoothie. He was drinking yeah, a, smoothie. It was a smoothie. A free show one they of the hardest Whole shows foods. we.
0: Yeah, Whole Foods. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Yeah. yeah. So uh, all right. So I'm down to my last two. Um, all right. I am going to put this one down uh, for my number two. Number two. Um. Now Ozzy Osbourne is in the Hall of Fame for black Sabbath. He's not in it. uh, He's not in it solo, but he, that's, that's not who I'm thinking. Uh, Even though he should be in it for a solo work also. But I think that they're recently they've kind of, they've kind of gotten away from the, the side, the, the sideman category. I know they, a, a year or two ago, they brought in people like the blue caps and the crickets, because died. like Buddy Holly would be in, and the but the rest of the crickets weren't in there, or Gene Vincent's in, but the Blue Caps didn't didn't get in. I I think for Ozzy, in terms of uh, for him being as as successful of a solo artist starting out, I think that all has to go back to Randy Rhodes.
1: Oh yeah, yeah,
0: and I think if if. I think I honestly think that that going forward, they really need to add the sideband category as something that every year there is an influential musician that is that is inducted. And it's it's someone that maybe someone that maybe has recorded with a bunch of people, but uh, you never was was never like much of an artist of their own, like uh, Steve Vai or Joe Satriani, right. sure, or, sure.
1: yeah
0: uh, there's a, there's a lot of people are drummers, you know, uh, uh Carmen, Carmen, uh, I think it's a peachy or, or yeah. Uh, so people like that. And, um, it, it seems like they've, they've pretty much gone with guitar players for the side for the sideman category. I think bill black is one of the few, bass mm-hmm. players mm-hmm. that that's gunning, but Randy Rhodes, I think really should be inducted on his own, regardless of whether Ozzy gets inducted, um, whether or not he gets inducted as a solo artist or not. I think that his, his influence on the guitar, uh, for an entire generation of players, every guitar player, if they're a metal fan, learns the riff to crazy train
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, right yep. so i i think that i think that he he deserves to make it in on his own i know he only really recorded two albums and then there's some some studio outtake two or three albums and there's some studio outtakes here or there i think there might be even some stuff that when he was with quiet riot oh. that still exists but yeah. I think as, as, uh, as an innovator of the, on the guitar, I, th- I believe that he should be inducted in the sideman category.
1: That's a good argument, yeah. I mean, if you think about him, you know, with Ozzy really pushing that sound and, and helping to, you know, Helping to really define, you know, one of the reasons Ozzy is in. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's a good argument. Is is uh, is Keith Richards in the Hall of Fame by himself?
0: I don't believe so. I think. I think he's he's just in in with the Rolling Stones. Okay. Would you make this, that same argument
1: for for Keith Richards?
0: I don't know. I think. I think with him, he is such. He he is so associated as being the Rolling Stones that yeah. I know like the Beatles, uh, you know, like a lot of most of them are on their own. If not all of them um, are in the hall of fame solo, but I don't know. I don't know if, if, if I would put, I don't know if I would put Keith Richards in that category as the side man uh, for an innovator, even though, even though he did, he did do a lot of innovation on the guitar, but I think that his, work with the Rolling Stones, I think, outshines everything.
1: Um, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I would, I would agree with that. Um, he's so associated with being, being the Rolling Stones. Yeah. It's like, um, well, yeah, it's like that's you right.
0: can, the, the other artists, like, uh, like the other guys, you, I mean, you, you can, you can have the stones and you can remove three of the five, but you do kind of need uh, Mick and Keith
1: to be the Rolling Stones right good good point so Randy Rhodes is is uh, he's he's, number is he, he's your number two okay all right um, so I guess I'm down to my number one You're number, now. One. number okay. one number one I'm the one here uh, okay so this um, this kind of harkens back and we could make arguments for you know various number ones interchangeably but, I've kind of had, uh, a, you know, a keen interest in kind of the growth and development of Americana music. And, and I think we've both agreed earlier that some of your best rock and roll is now w- within that umbrella that is Americana. Uh, there's so much good music um, in that genre, and it's always been a genre that's been fluid. But I think some of your <laughs> best, most honest uh, rock and roll is, is still there. So I'm I'm actually going to go. This might be surprising. I'm going to go for Amy Lou Harris as okay. uh, number one choice because, again, this sort of blend of of influence but also innovation. Emmy is not often associated with being with being um, you know a supreme creative innovator. You know her narrative is is kind of based on you know the the siren, the voice. You know, lending her voice to lots of other musicians. Um, that's often what she's kind of associated with. But if you look at her career, you know, starting once again in that Washington D.C. folk scene, you know, early back, you know, back in the '60s, '69. Yeah, I think she put out her first record, which really didn't do anything. But it was her own. You know, she was part of that folk scene. She wanted to be Joan Baez, um, but ultimately she met Grand Parsons. And you know, if you look at that relationship. Uh, And of course, Graham, I believe Graham's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's he's
0: definitely in with the birds. He's in with the birds, yeah. He
1: is Uh, not in as a solo artist. He's not in as, okay, so there's an argument there clearly with Graham Parsons. But I would say with with Emmy, you know, she teams up with Graham Parsons. They create together, you know, because he's as enamored with her as she, uh, with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, They create, you know, this sort of new you know country-politan cosmic american music which is really again the definition of of americana music or alt country or whatever you want to yeah. call it um so you trace her development you trace how much she changed and how much she evolved but she still kept those sort of that those 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 that rootsy uh foundation and you know her early albums uh, the one, you know, the pieces, you know, go down piece, the line. It's, yeah, the piece of the sky, appear, rose in the in sky. Snow. These are these are kind of classic albums. But the other thing about Emmy before sort of a watershed moment that I can argue for in terms of her being in the Rock Hall of Fame. And that is she was a supreme band leader. She put together the hot band, which Mm -hmm. featured, I mean, musicians like Rodney Crowell. She was playing with musicians like The Seldom Seen and all those, you know, supreme players, uh, you know, ultimately also with Mark Knopfler. You know, so as a person who is like this this magnet that draws the best in 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 those in many Uh, music genres Um, and steadfast in her ability to transform any artist she's with, but also with her own records. Yeah. And I come, I come to, and again, we, we've talked about this a lot, but the album wrecking ball, man, Mm -hmm. um, that was I Daniel still, Daniel I mean, Lenoir did that one. Daniel Lanois. That, he, yeah. that was he was the producer. And they, you know, they're in here they are in New Orleans. She's coming off a period where she was ultimately, at a certain point, when they recorded that album, she was being pigeonholed as, you know, a, you know, the country songstress, you know, yeah. the beautiful voice lending lending her wares to other to other people. And she made this album with you know with Daniel Lenoir, who's this genius, you know, this genius at atmospheric uh stylist in the studio and you listen to it and she's got folks like you know she's got you know there's steve Earle on that record yeah uh, lots was of buddy people, but was it, buddy miller part of that those sessions i don't know if buddy miller was was part of those sessions um but but uh but anyway so she you know wrecking ball to me is one of the best full albums made in the last 30 years yeah. in my opinion I mean, it's just the whole thing is of a piece. It's an album. It's a, it's an album that continues to have, you know, you look at a lot of these, you know, these, these, again, Americana or folk or rock or, you know, younger bands that are still so enamored with Emmylou Harris. Mm-hmm. And they're going back to that album, Wrecking Ball, because of the atmospheric. So she was really kind of, a, that's an innovative moment for it, any, yeah. for any artist, you when know. Did, when did that one come out? Was that, was that after Spy Boy? That's, that's, that's 96. And actually, uh, I believe it's 96 spy boy. Um, spy boy was basically, it was after wrecking ball.
0: Okay. That was, was, that spy, was like spy her sort of alt rock kind of album, which was also a very cool record on its own.
1: Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah spy boy. Yeah. Spy boy was 98, I think. And basically she was in the spy boy band they were touring this is when buddy miller i think kind of joined um that band they were playing they were touring wrecking ball buddy miller and musicians like brady blade from new orleans daryl johnson these guys that was like the touring band and lanois would come in and out the touring band with wrecking ball and then they made spy boy yeah. um so yeah i so i to me i think that's like in some ways you know, one of the high watermarks of her career is Wrecking Ball. Others would say, you know, Red Dirt Girl all these other albums, which, which then had, the, you know, the, the huge, you know, other influence on modern Americana. But as I was going through the list, man, and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at who's not in, I really feel, I feel strongly, I think, that Emily Harris, you know, should be in there for, and you can make an argument, basically look at almost any point during her career yeah and she's 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 both critically and, and 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 popularly acclaimed so yeah Emmy, number 1 i
0: need to i need to pick up that that record i have a bunch of her early stuff uh i have like five or six of her early records like um you know blue kentucky girl and those but i don't have that one and i had what was oh it was an album not I like want to call it Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, but that was Sarah McLaughlin. She put a record out, the early Your, early two thousands. Stumble into Grace. Stumble into Grace, which I yeah. love that record. I thought oh, that yeah. was yeah. freaking awesome. Frickin' awesome record. Um,
1: well and two, yeah, that I agree with you. And that and that album really, you know, and then she comes to Red Dirt Girl. By that point i guess ninety six again is when she recorded wrecking ball she kind of she she brought in this whole new sort of sound palette yeah. because of wrecking ball and then working with lamois so again, she was really helping to kind of push the envelope of what Americana music a really re- american roots music um was in that time and so mm-hmm. again her inf- and her in i mean i't talked about just as a as a as a human being in the music world her influence which is which is uh infinite so yeah. Um yeah, number one choice there.
0: Have you have you ever seen her perform?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh yeah, I have. And she's I mean, she's pretty amazing, you know.
0: I've only seen her perform on the Opry. She generally plays the Opry every year around mid December, uh, at the Ryman. It's it's what she does she'll come out with uh, the whites and uh, she'll she'll come out with the whites and she'll usually bring uh, like Dave Rawlings and uh um uh, Gillian Welch uh, Gillian Welch out yeah. so it's basically you're you're basically sitting there for a half an hour or 40 minutes watching Emmylou Harris the whites and uh, Dave, Dave Rollins and Gillian Welch just do a, a whole set together which is which is really pretty awesome and they usually will play some of her Christmas stuff off of light and light in the stable which is one of my
1: all-time favorite Christmas records That's cool. Now this is when, when they play the rhyme, and this is, now correct me if I'm wrong, but this is when every year you pull out of the closet the very ill-fitting little cowboy outfit. I do. And you sit right down front, you know, your hands on your cheeks, and you've got the really, again, the Uh ill-fitting, you know, cowboy hat, uh, and you listen very intently, yet, you know, right beside you is a tiny little bucking horse, a little bucking all, horse, just a little bucking horse, in your ill-fitting cowboy outfit. Every year at the same show, they've never thrown you out. It's no. pretty it's really, it's a testament to your your concentration and focus. Between
0: um, songs, I hold up a little sign. that's on a three x five card that says "Play some Freebird." It's a
1: very, yeah. very small sign. They've it's, never actually read what it says on.
0: No, it. no, because I, I mean, it's it's on a three x five card, but I put it in, in size nine type. So it's really hard to re- read from the stage. That's so,
1: right. That's right. So it's very hard. She's so, like, she just looks down. and She goes, "Okay, yeah." Every year, every like year. clockwork. Every year. Uh, but uh, yeah, Vince Gillis had me,
0: has had me kicked out. He's
1: like, "Get that guy out of here!" No, Vince. Yeah, and the high voice. Vince doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't mess around. He does no, not. He won't. He, he doesn't tolerate any of that kind of stuff. No, Emmy uh, very tolerant. Extremely. Yeah, she's she's tolerant. like.
0: She's like, I've seen him every year in that tiny suit. He just keeps getting bigger and the suit just stays the same size. The
1: suit's pretty ill fitting though, I will it's, say. The suit's pretty small.
0: Yeah. I've been eating a lot of donuts recently, so it's really ill fitting. I think no. I think next time I go, uh it might be so tight that the that a button's gonna shoot off and kill somebody.
1: It might, yeah. That's that'll be a scene in the Ryman
0: there. <laughs> in the yeah. Man kills Man
1: kills <laughs> tourists with
0: button at the Ryman Auditorium, News at eleven. <laughs> That's right.
1: All right, um, all right. Number
0: my one. number, my number one. Um, this is they. I guess each year they they do one non performer, like um, uh, like a producer or promoter or record executive, and um, and I think the Billy Billy Graham has made it, and he was a promoter. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I think that Hilly Crystal the guy who started CBGB's.
1: A great choice.
0: Really should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. At the time he opened CBGB's, New York City was not exactly a hotbed for rock and roll on any real level. I mean, there were R&B clubs, there were jazz clubs, uh, the dinner supper clubs uh, for a lot of people. But if you were a young, snotty uh, punk, you didn't really have many places to play uh, in New York in New York City really anywhere really sure
1: yeah that's right
0: um, so he had this club and and bands would come and he would he would he originally did he originally didn't want it to be a rock club he wanted he wanted it to be a country and, and bluegrass club which is where the CBGBs country bluegrass country country blues bluegrass and I forget what the O M other music for something something, right? But he, he originally wanted it to be a country club, but it, it the area that he was in really wasn't uh, conducive to that environment. So bands like the Ramones and would come and get their start there, and Talking Heads and Blondie and all these all these bands that are in the Hall of Fame now. Dead Boys, the, And the Dead Boys, who uh, Cheetah Chrome, who who you and I have gotten to know a little bit. Yep. Um, uh Just uh, yeah, the Dead Boys were their uh, were their house band for for uh, much of the late seventies. Um, but without without CBGB's, that, that that place would not have been uh, there, there. There wouldn't have been anywhere for the Ramones to play. So chances are that the whole New York punk scene. Might not have really existed. Once CBGB's opened up, then other places like Maxis, Kansas City and a few other a few other areas, a few other places opened up because they saw the the financial appeal to being able to book these artists. Um, but yeah, without that, a lot of those acts probably would would not have gotten the exposure, would not have been signed, would not have uh, gotten to the level that they that they did to become inducted in the Hall of Fame, and and it was also. A place for bands, touring bands from around the country, to to go and play when they came through town. They knew that was where you had to play. It's uh, you know you're coming to New York. You can't book a gig anywhere else. You book it at CBGBs. Um, so bands oh, from yeah. England, like the Police, when they first came, you police. know that's where yep. they played. The Police played CBGBs when the first time they came to New York. So well,
1: television, you know, and these yeah. bands. Yeah, Tele- uh, Richard Hell. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh,
0: I mean even even up through the up even up through the, uh, the the 80s uh Guns N' Roses uh when they would come through New York for on their one of their first tours they they played CBGB's so mm-hmm. uh to so all, all up and up until right around the time that they that they closed it was a very viable club um I unfortunately I never went in the club while it was open um I've been in there since it turned into a uh, was a John John Varvatos,
1: right right um,
0: I, uh, but I remember walking by it once in 2005 just shortly before it closed and I remember thinking wow that's really freaking cool They're CBGBs because I I'd never I I'd, I'd never walked by it and and, um, uh, and I remember just thinking and I had a camera in my freaking hand I didn't take a damn picture.
1: <laughs> yeah it's one of those things yeah. like
0: it's like I was there I saw it you saw it yeah I, it's I, I can only I, it's only burned in my memory I don't I don't have anything I, I never I never took any really me, real memento from that experience of seeing of finally seeing the place but I didn't open the door I didn't I didn't go in it was
1: right. Well, it's fully. I mean, what an icon! Complete yeah. icon. And I, I actually, yeah, Hilly Crystal. I mean, as the proprietor, the you know, you could call maybe the produ- also kind of the curator and producer, right, of 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 CBGBs and of course yep. all the bands that played there. That, that's I like that. I think that's. I agree with you. I, I you know, if Billy Graham, if, if Graham is in it, then he should be in it. I yeah. think that argument, you know, and I think the question is, should Billy Crystal be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? That's really <laughs> that's the, right. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah. uh, yeah. no, that's that's. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I like that one a lot, actually. Because I mean, and now the fact you know what what CBGB has has become, you know, it's pretty amazing when you think that that it was like the definition of punk, yeah. and now it's you know now it's this nice you know this nice. Uh, it's a brand, uh, is what it is now. Yeah. and they've opened the
0: CBGBs right. in in Las Vegas. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Hilly Crystal did pass away, but I I I, I remember. The Talking Heads uh, name checked him in their in their um, induction speech, and I think some of the other places, some of the other artists name checked him as as giving him their their start. So he's really someone. I, he's really someone that I think that's thing that deserves that that permanent recognition. Um, there's a if, there's a someone went in there uh, shortly before it closed and did one of those three hundred sixty photo things where you can go uh, yeah, in and yeah, yeah. do this virtual reality tour of the, yeah. of the, um, of the place. And I had never seen it and I, and I saw it the other day and I was like, holy crap, look at this. This is amazing. Like you can even go into the bathrooms oh, there. Cool. It was, it was, it was really, it's a really cool thing. So it, if you, if you get a chance, do a search, see if you can find that, that CBGB 360 and, and explore the club. Cause it really was so like, you know, you're looking at it like, oh, this is where so-and-so played. And this is, you know, and you, you see the stage. It's, it's pretty wild.
1: That's it's way pretty- cool. Yeah, very cool. So there you go, man. Uh, the, our top five. Top five, uh, yeah. I think they're both pretty strong lists.
0: Yeah. Did you have any anybody that you were thinking that you were like, ah, oh, I kind of want this on the list, but.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I've i got, man, I kind of developed a short list. You know, one band, I think I was stuck on this idea of, of, influence, but also sort of impact if, if even for a short moment. Yeah. And so I've got bands on here, like living color. Um, you know, I've got, you know, I've got big star on the list, uh, dire straits. I was, I, you know, almost was interchangeable with Los Lobos. Um, you know, again, but I figured if I can talk, Emmy Lou Harris, (laughs) Mark Knopfers kind of in that similar zone, you know, so I went with Emmy over, over dire straits for that reason. Um, what about you?
0: Uh I mean I I there were two there were two there were two acts that I had on my list and I crossed them out. I have them right here on my list crossed out and I decided to go with other artists. One of them was Bon Jovi.
1: Yeah, I wondered if you'd come out with Bon Jovi, yeah.
0: Because I mean again, it's uh it's for the, it's the same reason that that um you know Def Leppard isn't in. I think it's for the same reason Bon Jovi. They were just so huge and they were they were they were it was like they were like girl rock um they were pretty boys and sure. and i think that for a lot of people they don't like that they don't like it when you're when you're you're when your rock and roll band is part of tiger beat um, right
1: yeah that's right
0: and so i right. so i think for bands like poison and bon jovi uh but i but if if uh, and you know, and Motley Cruz not in either. Uh, I, I think Motley Crue will make it in before Bon Jovi does. But Bon Jovi, they they really are. They they were a consistent band, uh, very talented, great songwriters, great production. Um, New treated their fans really, tr- and still do treat their fans very well. They know their they know their place. Um, they, I mean, they're not they're not as vital as they once were. But I mean, it's. It's for for I mean they've they've lost Richie Sambora, you know, they they lost they lost a lot of their their the the, the edge that they had at the beginning, but they're they're still a, a pretty viable
1: touring act. Oh well, I mean John Bon Jovi is the consummate businessman. Yeah. I mean that's he's the reason why they're still touring, you know, and, and, and or like viably touring, you know? And, and Bon Jovi also helped give start to a lot
0: of other bands. They he took and reinvested the money that that they made early on into uh, developing other bands in terms of publishing and producing and uh, promoting other bands. Like so, we we wouldn't have Cinderella, uh, we wouldn't have uh, Skid Row. Um, they even they even tried to bring you know internet like Gorky Park from Russia. Oh, yeah, uh, that that sure. may have that may have yeah. just been a PR thing for that 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 concert they did in Moscow. The Mask Music Peace Festival. But at the same time, it's like there were he he was he was taking risks and trying things. Yeah. And putting yeah. putting his putting the money where where his mouth was. So
1: Well, and I think, I mean, again, back to this argument with Metallica versus Megadeth and Megadeth kind of being in the wake of Metallica, un- maybe unfairly. Um but and what you know what we should do is to record the next one solely about appetite for destruction <laughs> and the giant wake that right yeah. i mean because i mean i mean that i mean there i mean that that album you know if you're talking influence of rock and roll we can talk all day about it but uh, yes it made a huge wake in that whole thing and it really it, it formed like this thing back with 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 the hair bands and and all this like it, guns and roses somehow could claim like you know, authenticity stretching back to you know Rolling, you know the Rolling Stones. They were yeah. carrying on that torch. So any of these bands, like you know Bon Jovi or or you know even De- like our conversation about Def Leppard, like they were always kind of in terms of like you know rock and roll balls. I think they're always going to be weighted down by that like huge wake that Guns N' Roses yeah. left. Exactly. Know? And Bon Jovi.
0: I mean, even in the pre the pre. Um the pre Guns and Roses era, Bon Jovi, when they put out uh, seven thousand eight hundred degrees Fahrenheit, you know, they, they were really ambassadors for that type of rock. You know, they would sure. go to Japan and they would go to England and they'd be playing this rock and it would influence it would influence sure. all those those different countries. You know, Bon Jovi would go tour tour um, Australia opening for ACDC and it'd be like, and people would be like, well, we love ACDC, but my God, look at that guy. And and look at, look how fun they're, look how much fun they're having on stage. Wearing a Superman t-shirt. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, That's right. Yeah. So it was Bon Jovi and another one that, that I I think a lot of people would laugh at, but the Carpenters. Uh, You can make an argument there. The Carpenters, I mean, the '70s had like John Denver and a lot yeah. of great AM gold, and the Carpenters were right there with it. It's like they—I mean, they had hits just like almost every year through the '70s that they were that they were there. They were just like like John Denver. They were when you think about the '70s and you think about the soundtrack to the '70s. There used to be this. There used to be this um, series of compilations called "Have a Nice Day." Uh, music of the seventies, or the best of the seventies, and oh, the yeah. carpenters yeah. were all over that.
1: All oh over yeah, no, that. they they were that they were that genre. You so, know, that's what they were. Yeah,
0: and they um, they they pretty much started the idea of soft rock. That's right. So, and, and we, I mean, we have Chicago that that just got inducted in, and you know, and and then on the on the backs of the the carpenters, you have p- bands like Air Supply. And uh, 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 Barry Manilow, um, you know, people people will laugh at them because they they think it's all vanilla and and very marshmallowy. But this, this stuff is this stuff affected a lot of people, and I and sure I think that's um, I think that those those are also important people that that should be considered. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that Captain Sunil need to make it in, but
1: well, there's again, we can argue that, but uh, yeah, the captain and T'nil. but the
0: the carpenters were 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 very well seasoned musicians and and very good at what they did, yes, well, well,
1: well argued and well put. yeah, uh, the last i I am just looking through my list as well, that we can we can we can. Uh, wrap up but uh one could make an, a case for albert collins as as the influential guitar player blues guitar yeah. player influence hendrix you know stevie ray um had a long you know a, a really actually a long career um but you know again is overshadowed by you know the the more, much more well-known blues players you know again to to you know to, yeah, you know, on the mantle of, of, or that wing of things. But Albert mm-hmm. Collins, I think you can make an, an argument for it as yeah,
0: well. Yeah. Definitely. So, definitely.
1: All and, right, uh, man.
0: I guess, I guess in the next few years, the, we've, we have some interesting people that'll probably be showing up. I, I would, I would assume the Foo Fighters will make it in. Um, I think that they will be eligible. In
1: three years, I want to say. I think, yeah, I think that's right. I think, um, and then well, maybe, like,
0: maybe no, I guess their first album did come out in '95, so I, they uh, they'll be eligible in four years.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: And then you have like um, Dave Matthews and
1: well, and Radiohead, of course. Radiohead,
0: Radiohead will they they should be. Um, Creep came out in '93. I, I don't know if they put anything on '92, so they should be. They should be
1: uh eligible next year the year after yeah yeah i think that's right it's coming up so well uh good maiden voyage i think yeah. hopefully
0: so cool. yeah this was a lot of fun uh hopefully hopefully we kept we kept you guys all <laughs> interested as you were listening to us <laughs> talk uh about this but uh but yeah i uh, if uh if you got if you have your ideas on who you think uh should be in the hall of fame feel free to send uh feel free to drop a, a, a comment on the Neos as Facebook page. Uh, I don't know if best of fives has its own uh, page yet. I know we, that there was talk about putting up its own Facebook page, but I, I but as of right now, I think you can, you can comment on Neos as, or you can, you can send me any uh, uh, a, a message uh, through any of the other pages that I'm on, like Swick or, um, you know, past the popcorn or what have you. You can just send a message and say, listen to him. You're an idiot. Def Leppard suck, you know, Slayer forever so anyway thank you brian for for sitting sitting with us and uh and um uh, yeah although we'll, we'll we'll come up with another subject and, and we'll have you back on yeah we'll,
1: we'll go a completely different direction that's a lot of fun thanks yeah. for
0: having me cool <laughs> next one will be top five most overrated uh holo- <laughs> yeah, yeah. people that should be should be
1: ejected from the hallway holo- yeah yeah kicked out yeah uh, cool well thanks man yeah yeah cool